Thank you for joining our podcast from New Life Church Greenbrier. If you're joining us for the first time, we would love to know about it. Just text Greenbrier to 88000 and fill out one of our Connect cards. Now, let's listen in to today's message. Hey, New Life Church. You might not know this, but today is our anniversary as we're doing this series that I love called Humans. Inside of that series today, we're going to be talking about how to love the hard to love. You know, people you don't like much. So again, today is our anniversary and it's 22 years since we started New Life Church. And I know for a fact, and so does Michelle and a few others, this almost didn't happen, mainly because of insecurity. It was scary. And I remember when we started saying this to the Lord in prayer one day. Okay, God, I'll give it one more week. We'll try one more week. And I remember thinking, I don't know if the vision is going to be large, if it's going to be small. So we wrote our values because vision shifts, but values better never change. We wrote the values like the word of God is sacred and it better be unmovable in conviction. We should be authentic as we grow in relationships. Everybody wants a real relationship. Uh, We thought that we could have a church where everybody does their part and they want to do their part. We thought excellence honors God, so let's give it our best shot. And then other values like the value of a soul, every soul. Inside of that, we had our mission statement, bring in our neighbors, whether we like them or not to the room of God, to the throne of God, to the church of God, the house of God, to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And one contributing verse that gave us that was Jesus one time, he was asked, could you put into a footnote, could you just put into a sentence the entirety of the Bible into one idea? And interesting enough, Jesus said, well, I can't do it in one, but I can do it in two. And basically he said, to love God with all of your heart, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So it's really three things. Love God, love others, and love yourself. Like be confident in your relationship with God. So as a church in 2023, we are now asking God, we're asking God with all of our heart to help us in this effort. We've sort of framed it around this year, God, would you help us grow again as a church, and he is, but also, God, would you help us grow up? And here we are right back to this human series where God is going to ask us, it's hard, it's hard for me and you, to love people who are hard to love. So when we started this church, I was traveling around doing the best that I could to coach different churches. And inside of that, I was taking copious notes on how to build a church and how not to build a church. When I would see it done right, I was writing it down. When I would see it broken, I was writing it down. But truthfully, I was just hoping that when we started this church, we could win a soul or two, that we could love people, like love them so much that they would want to be a part of our church. But I didn't mind if we only had a few families so we could go to Popeye's. They don't sit many people there and eat red beans and rice. That's how you keep relationships. But then the Lord started growing our church, and it's grown really large. Many families, but the values, 
They haven't changed, but they're always trying to change. And it gets harder. And now we have more responsibility than ever before because the Bible says when you've been given much, much will be required. The responsibility. To me, responsibility means responding to his ability. So with that in mind, look at this verse in the Beatitudes. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. So far, it's nice. For they will be called children of God. But look at this. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward. Like to love them. That's where the mercy comes from. It's easy to love certain people in our church, like the Pat Hills or even my wife, Amir. Have you ever met him? Harry Bates, Katie Bezet, my Aunt Laverne. Anyone can love them. Think of the nicest person you've ever met. Easy to love them. But aren't you glad that Jesus loved you when you were not so easy to love? Love doesn't start... Uh, registering in heaven until it's with people we hate, people who persecute us and insult us. As a church, we got to get this right. So I was telling a bunch of people recently that confidence, it's a strange thing because when you have confidence and you have it and you're walking with it, you think you're never going to lose it. But then when you lose it, you think you're never going to get it back. Do you know what? It's the same with relationships. When you have them, you think you're never going to lose them. But when you lose them, and I can speak from a personal place, and when you lose them, you think you're never going to get it back. So today, we're going to try to show you with all of our heart how to get it back. And here's a hint. When you keep checking on people that disagree with you, who think different than you, and they don't like you, you keep calling them, you keep praying for them, you keep reaching out, you keep going to lunch with them, you keep going over to their house. This is when God says, okay, that's the mercy I'm looking for. I'm going to give it to you. So when we started this church, we wanted to be like Christ. And I read this book called Jesus Style, and everybody should read it. But I learned so much from another author who wrote books on prayer. His name is Dr. Cho. And he started a church in South Korea that had over a million people in it. And when I read this book, it convicted me. I thought, man, I'm not praying. I don't seek the Lord. So I found another pastor on staff and I went to him. I said, hey, you don't pray much, do you? And he said, no, I don't. I said, we should pray together. And we prayed and prayed. Then one day, Dr. Cho came to our church to speak. Well, now I was reading his book on small groups. And here's the thing. I've always been relational, but I didn't like small groups in a church. And here's why. Because people would come in and they would get to know each other. And then after a while, they would start turning on each other. And so I didn't think it was worth it. I didn't tell anybody that, but that was my thought. And then when he was there to speak, I was scheduled to be the pastor who brought him the microphone that day. That was my job for the day. 
So I went and knocked on the door and I was thinking, I get to meet Dr. Cho. But I was also thinking, this is a man who can read your mind. He had like words of knowledge and wisdom. He just could read right through you. And I was a little worried about that too. So I walk in and I handed him the mic and he asked me, he says, hey, have you ever been to my country? And I said, no, sir. He said, you should come sometime. I said, Dr. Cho, are you inviting me to your house? He goes, no. He goes, I just think you should come to my country. Because if you did, you would realize that there's different cultures all over the world. And it would help you to understand uh, the different cultures. He goes, you know what? In church, it's the same way. You have believers and you have lost people coming together. And the only way for them to be like Christ and to grow in Christ is small groups. And the Lord is showing me, you don't like small groups. And I just want you to know it'll change lives if you just give it a chance. And I was like, okay, you can read my mind. I love Dr. Jones thinking all these things because he called, he called me out. And you know what? He was right. The weakest churches in the world are churches where people just assemble together on a Sunday, but never walk through life together in life groups. So the main identifying mark that you will ever see as followers of Christ, according to the word, after salvation, the main identifying mark is that do you love one another? Do you love people who are hard to get along with? And I promise you, if you go out and attempt to love people, uh, you're going to learn quickly just how hopelessly selfish you are without Christ and how extremely unloving you are without Christ. And so the Bible says that it's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in you. For example, this woman who was caught in adultery, we have Jesus and we had these religious people who didn't love one another. And you can see that they, they had two different views of this lady. Jesus loved her and everyone pointed out her weaknesses. They were saying, she's not worthy. She is a sinner. She is gross. She is filthy. She was caught. She's a commandment breaker. She's the lowest. She's on the wrong side of morality. She's on the wrong side of politics, the law. She's worthy of death. And all of this is true without Christ. But Jesus says this to them. He said, you guys are forgetting one huge thing. And so he writes on the ground. We don't know what he wrote, but most theologians believe that he started writing where they were caught, like where they were gross, where their sins were, where they broke commandments, where they were on the wrong side of the law, where they were busted and where they were worthy of death. And he just spoke the truth to them. And then what did they do? They ran away from truth. So my question is, don't you think they wanted forgiveness? Yes, but then why did they run away? Because they didn't want to deal with their sin. They just wanted to destroy her for hers. And this is what happens if you don't allow the Lord to heal you and to completely restore you of your shame and your sin then you're going to always be pointing at everybody else's sin. They wanted her to pay for her sin, and everybody's sin has to be paid for. Either you're going to pay for it or you're going to let Jesus pay for it. So Jesus told them, let the one of you 
who's without sin, throw the first stone. And by the way, the first stone was their best stone. They would always have the kill shot stone, the first one, the one that they would throw first. It was called kill shot. It was the one that was the most accurate. And he said, you can't throw stones when you're not recalling the sin that you've been forgiven of. If you forget that, you're going to look down on everybody else. But the person who knows that they've been forgiven, they drop stones. They don't throw the kill shots. So it's easy to forget the mercy and grace. By the way, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Hell, Hades, while grace is getting what you don't deserve, like forgiveness, relationships with Christ, the chance to worship, the chance to walk in joy and having a purpose. So remember this, without mercy and grace, you're never going to love the unlovable and you could care less about them and you're going to just walk around with a lot of hate. So today we're going to look at scripture. Uh, All of the campuses all across the state are going to be talking about Zacchaeus. Jesus could have walked past him, but he stopped and he had a conversation with him. So in fact, some people are downright hard to love, just like we're going to learn about Zacchaeus. You probably sang about Zacchaeus in Sunday school. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You're going to see that in this verse. Jesus, he entered Jericho. So he's just going about this journey. And he was passing through. And a man there by the name of Zacchaeus He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed in a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. Let me describe what that was. He was a Jewish man who betrayed the Jewish people. He was cheating on his own people out of their land, their hard-worked money, and worst of all, he was working for the enemy, for Rome. He worked directly for them to come against his own people, God's people. In those days, the type of sinners, tax collectors, would be lumped together with thieves equal to murderers, equal to an adulterer or a prostitute, and he's a tax collector. But he wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. I was looking this up. Do you know what this means? It means not only was he a tax collector, a sinner, I'll describe that in a minute, but he was training people how to betray the people and how to be wicked. He was teaching them how to rob the people. He was like the godfather in the 50s. He was the most hated person and to them He deserved it. But everything changed when Jesus came to town. When Jesus reached that spot, it says in 19, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 6, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must be around you. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Look, only a few times, I'm not going to mention them all, but only a few times in Scripture did Jesus call somebody by name. For example, he said, Lazarus, 
come forth. Some people say if he would have just said come forth, everybody would have rose from the dead. That's why he called his name. Uh, He called Martha's name twice. He called Mary at the tomb. He called out her name, and that's when she recognized him. He called Peter's name, and now he's calling Zacchaeus' name. Question, do you know how easily Jesus could have kept walking? To be honest, that's what most of us do when it comes to hard people to love. And at this time, there was likely 10,000 people traveling with Jesus. By the way, I didn't say followers of Jesus, just travelers, not Christ followers, just travelers. And in fact, you can see that he was doing miracles and people wanted to be around it. It was probably entertaining for some. Others were meeting him as savior. So basically church attendance is off the chart. Everybody is there. No one would have ever noticed if Jesus would have just passed by Zacchaeus. They they wouldn't have cared about it at all, but he stopped. Sometimes when a church gets big, we must still notice the one. People might even say, oh, the church has just gotten too big. But we never say that about a hospital. Have you ever driven by a hospital and said, oh, it's just way too big. They're helping way too many people get well. No, but they do say that about a church, but only if we forget about the one, the one who's messed up, the one who's made bad decisions. And in fact, you're the one. And if you don't remember that, then you probably won't stop by to reach them. So anyway, Jesus stops for the one, Zacchaeus. He says, come down. He stops everything to talk to the enemy. He had just preached, love your enemies. He has to live according to his word. He just told the whole crowd, love your enemies and pray for people who persecute you. This may be the hardest thing that Jesus ever preached. It is to me to love my enemies, to do good to people who wronged me, who lied about me, who have spread things about me, who do not love me back, who do not care about me. Name the biggest enemy of your life. And that's who Jesus is trying to call to dinner, to build a relationship with. So we love the Bible when it tells us about God's promises and his love and his grace and his goodness. But man, love our enemies? That makes me squirm. So listen. If we only love the people who are easy to love, we can forget about the Arkansas God sees because we're never going to reach this state. That better never be who we are. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus in the tree, he didn't just see a little tax collector. He saw more than an enemy. He saw more than a man who was hated by everyone in the crowd. You know what he saw? He saw a soul that he created. Why do we need to love people who are hard to love? Because they mean something to our God when we were hard to love. They're valuable to him. So we got to treat them as such. Every single person. That's why. So how do we love them? I just want to give you a few principles. How do we do it? Number one, hear their hurt. We all know the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, the hurting, but 
a few years ago, talking about hurt, uh, I had a problem with a tooth in my mouth and it was it was hurting. And so I went to the dentist and uh, it wasn't my son-in-law, it was my dentist now, but I went to this dentist. He was a great dentist as well. And, um, and I could not tell him where the pain was. I thought it was on the bottom of my mouth, but I didn't know for sure. Strangest thing. So he said, where do you hurt? I said, man, it hurts so bad, but I don't know where. It just hurts. So he went in and he put pressure on my mouth. And he started just touching firmly. I was like, no, that doesn't hurt. He said, how about warmth? So he put warmth in my mouth. And where does it hurt now? I said, man, maybe it's fixed now. I don't, it doesn't hurt. And then he put cold in my mouth. And when he did, I went, what? What? The pain, it was so intense. I didn't think it was ever going to leave. And this guy just started treating me. This is what Jesus is doing. In our eyes, he was loving the people that everyone hated. But in his eyes, he was loving someone who was hurting because people are the way they are for a reason. I have this friend named Larry Fletcher who's a car mechanic and he lives in Florida. And if I call him on the phone and I start telling him, hey, I'm having a problem with my truck and I don't understand what's going on. He's going to say, hey, just tell me what, what, you, what you hear. Is it clicking or is it knocking? And I said to him, no, it's just sounds like, he goes, I didn't hear you. I said, that's because it's not starting. The engine blew up. It's not making any noise, bro. It's gone. But seriously, though, sometimes if you listen, you can hear the sound of hurting people even when nothing is said. I'm doing a funeral this week with a, a faithful member of our church and his son died. And I know what's going to happen, man, is it's going to be, it's going to be a room full of hurting people. And that's what happens at funerals. But that's also what happens every Sunday morning church. And that's also what happens at the person that lives next door to you. And how are we ever going to be a Christian who wins other people if the person next door is someone we hate and they have cancer and we're not helping them cut their grass and we're not over there giving them lasagna when they're starving because they can't take care of one another, how are we going to reach Arkansas if we don't love people who we don't agree with? I remember one time there was a man who had fallen into adultery and I saw him at the mall. And when he saw me, he just hid. He hid down us. And I, and I saw him and I ran over. I said, hey, man, what you doing? He goes, he goes, man, I'm just getting inside. I said, no, I saw when you saw me, you were hiding. He goes, no, I wasn't hiding. I said, I saw you and you saw me and then you hid. He goes, no, I'm not hiding. And he finally just said, okay, I'm hiding. That's it. I'm hiding. I feel terrible about what I've done. And I was angry at the guy because he hurt a family. But I took him to get some coffee and we talked it through and it's a great ending. I wish I could tell you the whole story, but we're never going to be like Christ if we're not like Christ. And I'll tell you what he's like. He's good at reaching people who others are aggravated with. So the Bible says that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save them. He said they stand condemned already. That's what he said. They're already hurting without him. 
When you are hurt, you're going to hurt other people. But if you care, you're going to hear them. This is what we're talking about. People who hate believers are mostly dealing with shame. They're hurting. And you're never going to win them until you hear that cry inside of them. No one's going to ask him, except for Jesus, how he was doing. No one ever asked Zacchaeus how he was doing. Do you need anything? He never got that. How can I pray for you? No one said, hey, Zacchaeus, how can I pray for you? No one was saying, hey, do you want to come over and watch the Super Bowl with me next week? But Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. I got to stay at your house today. Then Jesus said, I want to spend time with you. I'm headed to your place. So he heard his heart and he heard his hurt. Number two, show them love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, I love this. I'd never really seen this before. Make love your greatest aim. Make love your greatest aim. What? What a great verse. What if our greatest aim was not always asking God to forgive us, to bless us, to love us? But what if it was, Lord, show us how to make love our greatest aim? to love other people, to love our enemies, uh, not giving gestures, going down I-40. What if love was our greatest aim? And to me, kids understand love better than us. I remember reading about the Special Olympics several years ago. They were having a 100-yard dash, all running with smiles on their face, and one of them fell, and so they all stopped to go get the one who fell to pick them up so they could all finish together. Listen, in life, I'm a sports enthusiast, so I think you should try to win. I'm not referring to this because of sports. In sports, you, to be number one, you gotta be number one. You're gonna have to win. You gotta win the game. But in life, we got people that are falling down. Somebody's gotta help them stand back up. With that in mind, thinking about kids, because the Bible says out of the mouth of kids, like we can learn so much and they did this study on what kids thought real love was. And one of them said, it's when my grandmother got arthritis and she couldn't paint her toenails. She wasn't able to paint them. So my grandfather does it for her, even though his arthritis is worse than hers. That's from Rebecca, age eight. Another one said, uh, love is what's in a room at Christmas time. You think of all the tension around family. But love is what's in a room at Christmas if you stop opening up gifts and you just listen. Bobby, age seven. And then the last thing, there was a kid who his next door neighbor was an old man who lost his wife after 52 years of marriage. So he told his mom, again, we're talking about loving people. He told his mom, he's, mommy, can I go over and talk to him? And she said, yes. And when he returned, his mom said, what did you say to him? And he said, mommy, I didn't say anything. I just helped him cry. You know, when people are hurting and you pay attention to it, you're going to get more out of it than you give. Jesus, all of the strategies that he had to help other people, the enemy, people he loved, people who didn't love him, the way he would go about it, it was a lot of ways, but he loved eating with them. He would share a meal with them. 
again, boudin and red beans and rice will heal anything. But the people around Jesus in Luke 19, all the people saw this and they began to mutter like they were griping. He's going to be with the sinners. He's with a guest of the sinners. A lot of people had problems with Jesus showing love to this guy, but he did it anyway. Jesus ate with sinners all the time. It was a regular thing for him. But he somehow, and this is what we have to learn, somehow Jesus was comfortable in awkward situations. Loving people doesn't mean that you have to agree with them. Jesus never compromised. Do you think he compromised? If he did, he's not Jesus. He never compromised. It doesn't mean that you have to compromise to show them love but it is compromised to not show them love. In our church, we've decided that we're going to fight for unmovable convictions. Don't water down the word, please. Keep it strong, but shocking love. And some of you, you're good at loving other people, but you no longer hold the word. It's sacred. And so you just love, no convictions. Others of you, you have extreme convictions but you're no longer loving other people. Which one are you weak at and do both? And then number three, and then we're out of here. Listen to their cry for God. As a pastor, I get to see a lot of people calling on the Lord, but I think he wants you to hear it too. In Luke 19, it says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here I am. And he basically repents. He said, I've cheated people out of so much, and I'm going to give it back four times the amount. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to your house, bro. This is it. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This brother repented. And there's something incredible about that. When, when you're up close to Christ, you're, you want to repent. This is what happened with the woman who was caught in adultery. When she was around religious people, uh, she was just trying to protect herself. But when she was around Jesus, she, she was changed forever. He said, I don't condemn you. Now you go and sin no more. There's no way she went back to a lifestyle of sin because nothing can compare to being forgiven by Christ. But how are they going to know if we don't make the call? if we don't invite them over, if we don't pray for them. So this is where the Lord started. By the way, I was studying church history and it tells us, it's not in the word, but it tells us history from writings back in those days that Zacchaeus traveled with Peter in the early church and he even became a bishop at one of the churches. But interesting enough, decades before Jesus would pass by that spot, that tree, that Zacchaeus was in, God put a seed in the ground that became a sycamore tree because he knew decades later that Zacchaeus, who would be a sinner, a chief of sinners, just like you and I, would climb in that tree and see Jesus passing by. And to me, the Lord has made us trees like that. And that's why we have to be planted by the waters we know. But to be a light, and this is where we ask God, like, Lord, help us be salt and light. And we're so sorry that we don't do it consistently. And we're not going to do it consistently. Unless you remember, Zacchaeus is you.
and Zacchaeus is me. Thank you for joining us today. If you made a decision for Christ or could use prayer for any area of your life, please let us know. All you have to do is text Greenbrier to 88000 and click on Connect Card. Be sure to join us next week. 